Hi, this is Ken Savacco, the pastor here at Rogers Assembly, and I just want to thank you for joining our audio podcast today. I hope that this message makes you feel connected, that it allows you to grow in your faith, and it helps you understand that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Uh, If you have your Bibles, would you open them to uh, Ezekiel chapter 37? We're going to be in Ezekiel today, and... uh, we're continuing in our series, Fight Song. We're kind of wrapping that up today. Um, and we've been in this series talking about how our praise is a weapon. You know, every good warrior has a fight song. I'm, I've said this in here before, but for all those visiting, you know, every time the tune, uh, the Eye of the Tiger comes on the radio, I'm sorry, but there's a little adrenaline that shoots through my body. You know, I'm ready to fight Clubber Lang. Let's just say that. I'm ready to fight Ivan Drago and Apollo Creed and all of that. And there's just something that happens when music hits in that just, it shoots adrenaline through us. But we learned that that fighting in the physical realm and in a physical sense is misplaced for Christians. Because you and I know that we don't fight in the physical realm. You and I fight in a spiritual realm. Amen? Ephesians 6.12 tells us this. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And so if our battle is not in the physical, our battle is in the spiritual, then you and I must learn to fight in the spiritual. We need to fight in a spiritual realm. Uh, after all, what good is owning a gun when you're fighting cancer, right? What good is having the biggest biceps when you're fighting addiction? See, we need to learn to fight spiritual wars with spiritual weapons because you and I have learned all along that you can't fight spiritual worlds with worldly weapons. It does not work. So in this series, we've been studying how praise is one of the most powerful weapons that God has given us. Praise is a weapon that leads us into warfare. And when you and I praise, we've learned that the walls come tumbling down. Amen? That the ambushes of the enemy are annihilated. We've talked about how the prisons that hold us captive are shaken to the core. When you and I learn to praise the Lord, we are reminded of Jesus' indescribable worth. That he is worth more than an alabaster jar of perfume. He's worth more than a year of our wages. He's worth more than all of our lifetime earnings. He's worthy of all things. In fact, David would write in Psalm 150, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Because he's worthy of it all. When you and I praise the Lord, we are reminded that God is still all-powerful. That God is the one who made a way for the Israelites through the Red Sea. And God is still the one that is making a way in the wilderness. See, God made a way for us to be where we're at. But God is still making a way for our future. Amen? Hallelujah to that. We learned that when we praise the Lord, not only do the winds and the waves still, still know his name, but all of creation... All of creation is subject to the name of Jesus. And so today on Easter Sunday, I want to wrap up our series. 
because I believe that there's one last thing that our praise does, and this is maybe the greatest thing, is our praise reminds us of resurrection power. Amen? And that is a powerful thing. And so today I'm flashing back to an Old Testament story. It's kind of an unconventional Easter story, Easter story that I want to share with you today. And it comes um, in Ezekiel chapter 37. So before we actually start reading, I need to set a context for this passage. Um, Ezekiel is prophesying almost around... Uh, 590 B.C., give or take a little bit in there. And he's prophesying to uh, the lost tribes of Israel. At this point in Israel's history, the ten tribes had grown really weak. And, um, and as they're growing weak, guess what? The enemy is growing stronger. And so as the, the Israel's growing weak, Babylon is rising up. And Babylon, Babylon begins to invade Israel and take them captive. And they begin to exile the tribes of Judah, the tribes of Benjamin, the tribes of Levi. And they are taking the best of the best of the Israelites and they're, they're bringing them back into the land of Babylon. And their goal is to assimilate them into Babylon culture and into Babylon mindset. And it paints a wonderful picture of how sin works in our lives. It works slowly like a snake entangling its prey. And with each grasp that the serpent, uh, or that the, the victim takes, the, the serpent wraps a little bit tighter and tighter until it suffocates its prey. And so it is with sin in our lives that the longer we allow sin to reside in our lives, the more it strangles us and suffocates our souls and our spirits. And so that is the hope for Babylon here, that they take the children of God and they bring them back into their country to assimilate them. And the longer that they're there in this Babylonian culture, in this sinful mindset, the more that their faith will dry up, the more that they'll feel dry, and the more that that sinful uh, mindset will uh, entrench themselves in them. And so Babylon... It's just like a serpent. It will not stop until the Israelites have fully assimilated. And so God is speaking to his people through the prophet Ezekiel. And I want to start reading in verse 1 of chapter 37. It says this, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. And that valley was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones. And say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. This, my friends, is what Easter is all about. That God has the power to bring dead things back to life again. 
We call that resurrection power. And so today I want to aim at all the dead people who have not yet experienced Jesus in your life. And you feel a void and you feel uh, like something's missing. And you've tried to fill it with things of this world, but nothing in this world that, that the world offers seems to quench it. I want to speak to dead relationships that you feel are infixable. Where you feel like there's more fighting than there is peace times. I want to speak to prodigal sons and prodigal daughters who's struggling to rekindle your faith. And you know all about God, and you know all about Jesus, you know all about church, and you know all about the faith of your mothers and your grandmothers and your fathers and your grandfathers, but yet you are still hesitant to reach out and grasp it for yourself. Today I want to speak to dead governments who offer little hope for the people they serve. I want to speak to satanic schemes that take aim to assimilate God's children into their mindset. To speak to media outlets with sinful propaganda, propaganda and hidden agendas. I want to speak to everyone who's come into this place. And on the outside you're looking your Easter best, but under the surface you're drying up. Your homes are drying up. Your relationships are drying up. And today I want to say unto you, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. You can receive life today. Today by looking at Ezekiel 37, I want to recognize three conditions that must be met in order for dead things to come back to life. Three conditions that must be met for dead things to come back to life. And the first condition that must be met in order for dead things to live again is, number one, we must answer the question. See, there's a prophetic vision that is given Ezekiel here. And he's taken from his place to a valley. And that valley is like, um, it's like a post-apocalyptic um, promised land. It's a remnant of what the promised land once was. We know that the promised land is the lowest place on earth. It sits 1,500 feet below sea level. Presumably the same place where Sodom and Gomorrah once stood. It's located by the Dead Sea. And the valley is significant to our story because valleys are oftentimes where biblical battles are fought. There were battles are fought in the valley. If you think back and you remember, where did David face Goliath at? Some of you will remember. It was in the valley of Elah. There was a mighty battle in the valley there. Gideon would defeat the Midianites in the valley of Jezreel. Valleys were oftentimes where great battles would take place. And it, and it, it got uh, this stigma to him. Even David would say in Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me and your rod and staff comfort me. But David refers to the valley as the shadow of death. And he does this for good reason. Because not only did battles take place there, 
If you were to walk through that valley after the, ba after the battle, you would see just remnants of the battle. Because in that valley, the victorious team, the victorious army, they would take and they would strip the losing army of everything valuable. And they would leave their bodies lie there and given over to the wild beast to feast on. And if that wasn't gruesome enough, they would just leave their bodies for the, sun's, the sun to just scorch their bones. And this is the setting that God takes Ezekiel to. It's a valley where uh, the armies are fallen and they're stripped and the beasts have carried bones in disarray and the sun has scorched them. Now to add insult to injury, in those days, much like it is in our days, a body that is not buried is considered cursed by God. And so this was a valley that was cursed. It was a remnant of lost wars, lost battles. It was the land cursed by God. And these bones were described as not just dry, but our text tells us they were very dry. Right? They were very dry. See, it wasn't a recently, recently defeated army. That army had been defeated long ago. The bones had already been picked clean by wild scavengers. They were brittle because the sun had scorched them. And on top of that, God had brought Ezekiel probably to the valley of uh, Siddim where Sodom and Gomorrah once stood. Prosperous. It's a valley where sin once dominated, but now it's a valley and uh, it's a reminder of where sin ultimately leads us. It's a valley in the Bible that is allegorized as a valley of sin and death. And ankle high in skulls and femurs and vertebrae, God poses a question to Ezekiel. And he says, Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And God asks Ezekiel a question, not because God doesn't know the answer. Right? I'm pretty sure God knows the answer already. He asks Ezekiel because he's looking for a response. And Ezekiel answers according to what he sees. He looks out at the valley and he sees death. The remnants of what used to be. Reminders of battles lost. He sees not just death, he sees devastation. The bones were very dry. Which speaks to the hopelessness of the situation. You know when someone dies, there's still a little hope they can be resuscitated. Right? That's why we do CPR. Because there's still hope. But when you, approach, when you approach a pile of bones, that's pretty far gone. I don't know if CPR is going to do a bunch of good to a skeleton. Right? The reality of the situation is even worse than that because these bones are not even skeletons anymore. A skeleton would have some type of assemblance still there. No, this is one where scavengers had picked them up in disarray. And a coyote has probably taken one part over here and 
another beast taken apart over there. And it's just a valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel sees the devastation, and he's moved by, he's moved by death, and he's moved by definite, I'm sorry, devastation. He's also moved by defeat, where everything he sees reminds him of failure. He's looking at the losing team, the losing army. And he responds to to God according to what he sees. And in what he sees, he doesn't have much hope. He sees only reminders of what used to be. When you and I respond to God, and God says, can these bones live again? Sometimes we... We respond by what we see. And we're reminded of failures and we're reminded of struggles. And we say, I remember when our marriages were kind, but right now there's just more fighting than there is peace times. I remember when our kids weren't rebellious, when they weren't living apart from God. I remember when governments were trustworthy. I remember when our media outlets just, just told the truth. I remember when schools were more interested in math and science and English than they were in sexual orientation and critical race. And sometimes we look out and we see nothing but death and destruction and defeat. And God asks us the same question, can these bones live again? 2,000 years ago, the disciples would have to answer that same question. Jesus would endure one of the harshest beatings on planet Earth. Isaiah 52, uh, he would prophesy and say that God would be beaten beyond recognition. And as you read the Gospels, the Gospel accounts would confirm that. And his disciples had to ask themselves the question, as they looked out at Golgotha, and they looked out at the, the cross, and they looked at the tomb where Jesus had had been and they 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 remember what Jesus had just went through and they're seeing the death that was upon him make no mistake Jesus was dead on that cross it was customary for Romans to take their clubs and they would break the legs of those hanging as to speed up the crucifixion process but when the Romans got to Jesus they saw that he was already dead And so instead of clubbing his legs and breaking his bones, they took a spear and they they poked it in his side. And blood and water had already separated and began to flow out. He was truly dead. And they took Jesus and they placed him in a borrowed tomb. And the disciples would see death and they would see devastation. But ultimately, they would see defeat. This is a moment when... The Pharisees had gotten their way and the Romans had gotten their way. And the man that they had come to know and love and serve for the last three years was now dead. And in that moment they saw no way forward. And if you read the gospel accounts, you even see them reverting back to old lifestyles. And I guess 2,000 years ago... They had to answer the same question that Ezekiel had to answer. Can these bones live again? Peter and James and John and Andrew 
Bartholomew. Can these bones live again? You and I must also answer that same question. When we look at our world today, it's alarming. Sin has not only struck our world, but it has wrapped its clutches around us for so long that you and I feel the constant suffocation of it. Not only have we removed God from governments and schools, but we've replaced them with a sinful indoctrination of our young people. Ohio is introducing legislation, I'm sorry, legislation that mirrors Florida's prohibiting sexual identity discussions and critical race theory in our grade schools. Listen, church, when you have to talk to first graders about gender identity and sexual issues, that's not called education. That's called grooming. It's easy to see death and destruction and defeat all over our world. And the Bible is very clear. In Romans 6.23, it tells us that the wages of sin is death. And we see death all over our world, and it's creeping in, and it's suffocating life out of, out of everyone and everything. And so you and I are forced to answer the same question that Ezekiel was asked. Son of man, can these bones live again? Can our education systems live again? Can our governments live again? Can our politics live again? Can our media um, outlets live again? Can our broken marriages be restored? Can our prodigals come home? Can, um, can we be saved? Is there any hope for us still? Can dry bones live again? We have to answer the question. Which leads me to a second condition that must be met in order for dead things to come back to life. Not only must you and I answer the question, can these bones live again? But we must hear the word of the Lord. We must hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel responds to the question and he says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Okay, I'm sure this is not the response God is looking for. Have you guys ever said that? Only God knows. Guys, that is a hopeless response. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's hopeless. Right? Can our marriages work? I don't know. Only God knows. Right? Can our prodigals come home? Only God knows. Right? I got no hope here. I'm looking at dry bones over there. Right? When we answer, God, you alone know, that is hopelessness. If our faith is limited to what we see, you will always see death and defeat and destruction. That is why you and I must use more than our eyes. We need to learn to use our ears. Paul would write in Romans 10, 17, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. And God commands Ezekiel, speak to the dry bones. Speak to them. 
When was the last time you spoke to your dry bones? Like? You're like, every time I tie my shoes, right? <laughs> right? When was the last time we spoke to our problems? Those things in our lives that are dried up and they look dead. And, and when I say speak, I don't mean complaining. And I don't mean cursing. Because there's a hidden message in our text. A hidden message, I know you guys all want to hear it. Dead things do not respond to dead messages. Right? And how many times do you and I respond to the dead things in our lives with dead messages? Through complaining and cursing. I don't care how much complaining we do or how much complaining we do, they will not fix Satan's schemes against you. Try to raise dead things to life by cursing at them. Doesn't work, does it? So what is it that is spoken that is so powerful that it causes dead bones to live again? God tells Ezekiel in verse 4, prophesy to the bones and say, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. It's not our words that have power, but it's the Lord's words that have power. See, when God speaks, all of creation is subject to him. All of creation has to listen. When God created the universe, he spoke it into existence. And all of creation responds to it. When God spoke to the storm and he says, peace, be still, the winds and the waves had to obey his voice. When God spoke to blind eyes, they had to receive sight. When God spoke to deaf people, they had to receive hearing. When God spoke to a dead guy named Lazarus, there was only one choice for him. He had to come out of the tomb. Because there's power when God speaks. And you might be here thinking, that is true. There is power when the Lord speaks. The problem is, is I am not the Lord. And my speech is limited, and, and uh, it, it only has so much effect. In fact, Pastor, I'm going to make a confession today. I can't even get the dog to obey me. Right? Some of you feel that way. The dog doesn't even listen to me. So, I used to... I used to uh, have a joke in my family because when my kids were small and they'd be running around and there'd be like dishes on a table and I'd be like, I'd be like, who are these dishes? Um, but before the time I'm done asking, the room is empty. I'm talking to myself. And then I swore a ghost lived at our house because I'd ask all my kids and it's not me, not me, not me. Oh, it must be the ghost that lives here. Right? I know when we speak our own words in our own language and, and we, we do so, we're limited in scope and we're limited in power and we're limited in response. But here is the good news today that Ezekiel is staring at a valley of dry bones and he's not commanded to share his own words. He's commanded to share the words of the Lord. And it's about time that you and I start speaking God's word to our problems. 
and to our situations. And if you need help, God has given us a great big book full of His Word that we can recite and we can use when we speak to our dry bones and our dry situations. And when we start speaking God's Word to, to dry situations and dead situations and to uh, dead relationships and to lost loved ones and to prodigal sons and prodigal daughters, and we use God's Word to speak to God, godless uh, governments, and sinful agendas. And we finally say, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Right? And we start looking at the, at the enemy's plan and we say, your plan is defeated before you started. Because it's not by my might and it's not by my power, but it's by God's spirit, says the Lord. And when we're staring down our giants that come against us and we quote scripture we say it's not by the sword or by the spear or by the javelin but it's by the the power of almighty god that we come against you and on this day he is going to deliver you into my hands that is what we need to be speaking into our dry and dead situations we need to start speaking light and speaking hope and healing, and repentance, and salvation, and love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Somebody thought I was going to leave it out, right? You and I need to be Ezekiel's to our world, speaking the word of God to the dry situations and the dead situations. And so Ezekiel in our text, he obeys the word of the Lord and he begins speaking to the dry bones and he begins prophesying. And in verse 7 it says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise. There was a rattling that was taking place. There was a shaking. And the bones, they came together. Bone to bone. And I looked down, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, and there was signs of hope. God was moving, and God was doing something. And God was starting to create life where there was no life, and hope where there was no hope. But there was still one issue left. There was no breath in them. And that's why you and I must meet a third condition. Not only must we answer the question, not only must we speak and hear the word of the Lord, but we must receive God's Spirit. Verse 5, This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. Amen. That is the promise of Easter. Dead things not only need to answer the question, can I live again? Dead things not only need to hear God speaking to them, but dead things need to receive God's Spirit into them. And God's, God's Spirit breathing into people is what brings life. If you flash back with me to the Garden of Eden... God had spoken all of creation into existence. But then in Genesis 2-7, he did something different with Adam. It says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. Last time I checked, but dust was pretty dry. 
It wasn't even mud. At least mud has a little life in it, right? It has some water. Dust is very dry. But it says God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Because God breathed into him. It was the receiving of God's spirit into dust that brought Adam to life. There was a moment in time when Moses was alone with God and he he had enough nerve to ask God what his name was. And God was gracious enough and God answered him. And in the original Hebrew, God gave him the name Y-H-W-H. Now, you and I, were English, so we've added an A and an E to it. And we pronounce it Yahweh. But scholars and rabbis have noted that the letters Y-H-W-H represent breathing sounds or aspirated consonants. And so when pronounced without intervening vowels, it actually sounds like breathing. And we... We inhale YH, exhale WH. We inhale YH, exhale WH. And so life is like that. When you and I breathe in oxygen, we breathe in life. But salvation happens when we breathe God into our lives. And we receive God into them. Let me tell you that 2,000 years ago, death and hopelessness gripped the world like never before. It would be a week from hell that Jesus would have to go through. Being betrayed by his friend Judas with a kiss on the cheek. Jesus would have to endure an illegal trial before uh, previous high priest Ananias, the Jewish uh, high priest there. He would receive more beatings. He would receive a second illegal trial before Caiaphas, the current high priest. He would receive a trial before Pilate, who would then publicly scorn him and flog him by Roman soldiers. And they would place a crown of thorn driven into his skull, where he would be forced to walk in near-death condition, carrying a cross, 650 yards, the equivalent of six and a half football fields, to a place of Goth- called Golgotha where he would endure crucifixion, a rigorous, slow carbon monoxide poisoning death, receiving a spear in his side to make sure he was dead before he would be laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. And the earth would feel the despair of the moment, quaking violently. And the skies would turn black. And in that moment, focused on darkness and devastation and despair, the disciples would be scattered and they would be lost. But something miraculous would happen on that third day as Mary and Mary would visit the tomb and they would be shocked that the stone that was roll, was at the temple or at the tomb it was rolled away 
And they would run because they would be scared to tell Peter and James and John and the other disciples. And they would be running back to the, te- uh, the grave to check it out for themselves. And as they're, as they're running towards the grave, I imagine that they're remembering the word of the Lord. You know, when Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, it will be raised in three days. And they're probably saying, I did not understand what it meant then, but I'm starting to understand what it means now. I'm starting to see what it means now. And when we get to the, the tomb there, the angel confer, confirms what has already happened. And the angel says, do not be afraid, for I know who you're looking for is Jesus. He was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen, just as he said. And that is the reason that you and I can now experience the life that God promises. Peter would say this in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once and for all. He died for the just and the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The Spirit is what rose Christ Jesus from the dead. And Paul would confirm this as he would say this to all those who've received him, to all those who are believers. He would say that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. So it's incredible to think about that it's the same spirit that was received into the dust in Genesis that made Adam come come to life. It's the same spirit that was spoken and received in the valley of dry bones that caused them to come to the life. It's the same spirit that came upon Jesus in that tomb that raised him to life. And it's the same spirit that's made available to you and to me. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath entered them. And they came to life and they stood up on their feet a vast army. God causes dead things to come back to life. Amen. Amen. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I'm going to invite our worship team to come back and begin to minister to us today. But I want to bring this in for a closing because I want you to know today that if you're in this place, you are not here by accident, that God has drawn you in to this place for reason. And I want you to know and I want you to hear the voice of the Lord that God does bring dead things back to life. But there's three conditions that must be met. First, we must answer the question, can these bones live again? Let us not be like Ezekiel who shrugged his shoulders and said, God, only you know. Let us answer in the affirmative. Can God give me new life? Can God forgive my sins? Can God make me whole? Can God fix my brokenness? Can God restore my relationships? Can God bring back lost sons and lost daughters? Can God restore our world, our governments, our politics, our schools, our culture? Can God heal our land? Would you in your hearts... Begin to answer that question. Would you say, yes, yes, God can do it. Yes, God can bring life to dead things.
If you've answered in the affirmative, then I implore you to follow a second condition. We must hear the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is very simple. It's very straightforward. Jesus said this very truly. I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. But there's a question. How can someone be born again? Surely we can't enter into our mother's womb a second time. But Jesus would respond very truly. I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. See, the Word of God is very clear on this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. We're all in the same boat. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gift of God is for all of us. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that if you and I, we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your hearts that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And if you're here today in this place, and you've answered the question in your in your life, yes, I believe God can do it. And I've heard the word of the Lord. There's only one thing left that you need to God into your life. You need to open up your heart and ask God to come in. And if you're here in this place and maybe the Lord has spoken to you and you say, you know what, Pastor, I need the Lord to come into my life. I need him to come into to my dry self. God, I've been trying spiritually for so long. I need a, a resuscitation. I need, a, I need life. Place 
resurrection power in our own lives. And so, Lord, today, we receive you. We receive you fresh and receive you new. God, we're sorry for our sins. We're sorry for the old man. We're sorry for the things that we've done. But today is a new day, and today is a day of life. Today is a day of victory. God, and we breathe you in, and we breathe your spirit in. Lord, for every dead situation, Lord, that's in our lives, for the things at work, the things in our relationships, the prodigals, God, that weigh on our hearts, God, and they stress us out.